0: Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash thrive. That's thrivecosmetics. Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order.
1: Yes, yes, it is DJ Ski and you are rocking with us right here on Rebel Radio. Fuck you, Josh.
0: What's up? This is Rebel Radio.
1: What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butterwolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Oh. Rebel Radio is going
2: down. What did you say, Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Rebel Radio. I'm your host, Josh Levine. I want to start the show today by saying R.I.P. to DJ Crazy Tunes. Toons was the DJ for Ice Cube, for uh, Dub C. If you don't know, I used to manage Dub C back in the 90s and got to spend a lot of time with Crazy Toons, who was not only an amazing DJ, but a really important contributor to uh, West Coast hip-hop and hip-hop culture in general. And we lost him recently. And um, much love to to Dub C and Toons' family. You'll definitely be missed. On a happy note, we have DJ Ski today as our guest on Rebel Radio. Ski has been called the Oprah of music, the Ryan Seacrest of hip-hop. He's um, one of just the most interesting cats that I've had the pleasure of meeting through this show. Um, He's gone from being a DJ to producer to a marketer to a TV personality with Ski TV and is now the founder of Dash Radio. Uh, Rebel Radio can be heard on Dash Radio weekly, as well as iTunes and SoundCloud, so check it out there. Great lessons from this man in our action-packed interview. It's a fast-moving interview. You're gonna wanna pay attention to all these good lessons. He talks about the importance of preparation and research, knowing his audience. He says he likes to go into every situation knowing as much as he can, and uh, that's that's wise words from DJ Ski. He also gives us some great stories about letting things go. This man has retired from more successful careers than most of us will ever have, and uh, he's got a great philosophy on when it's time to move on and make room for something new. Good stuff coming up from DJ Ski right after our EDM.com track of the week. running around the city yeah. Yeah. yeah i said running running we just trying to get it yeah i been running running we just
0: trying to get it <laughs> yeah i've been smoking out the city i've been half a day, yeah i've been riding away, yeah they've been on the chase i been picking up the face 7-3-4 and full effect, Cali Kush got me feeling blessed, doctor gave it to me for the stress 20 years old with a vision, shit I got it tatted on my chest, gone till I get it nothing less I ain't got no chill, run on tests, fuck a dream dog, I got a mission Make a name to make a fucking killing, Fucking myth, they get the wrong impression Everybody got their own opinion, money not the object, we can split it I just need a couple hundred thousand I just need a couple hundred off running running never running out of competition. Really not a challenge. Venues got them payin' for some fans. Couple
2: hundred cash in advance. Fuck that, I got bigger plans. TV up, sorry, out in France. Split a jam, kick it when they back. All my homies running round the... Yo, that was the EDM.com track of the week. That was Geronimus Brothers with a track called Joyride. If you like that, you can find more just like it on soundcloud.com slash hip dash hop. And now we get into the interview with DJ Ski. Yeah. Awesome. Well dude, thanks for doing this man. I appreciate you making time. I've been kinda of hearing your story from afar from Ryan and Yeah and you know, just hearing your name everywhere. Any time, bro. And uh, and so this is fun for me because like I get to learn about people that, you know, I might know or, or know of or whatever. And so I've been doing all this research and we have all these connections that sorta of should have figured but but I didn't know. So uh so I'm excited to get into some of that. Me too. It all comes together. For sure. Um, but I always like to start kind of at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we'll get, to, we'll get to where you are today as mm-hmm. an international superstar, no. DJ, personality, entrepreneur, all this, all this great stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's go back to the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the first time you fell in love with music.
1: I mean I fell in love with music as a kid I mean my I guess it kind of came in my family. My dad's an incredible piano player. My mom used to sing and like up with people and so like, oh, it, yeah. it just kind of came natural from the family like my dad used to put headphones on on my mom's belly when she was pregnant with me, so I guess you know it was even before I was born that yeah. music started but I mean the turning point for me was when I got my turntables up until that point I, I thought I was going to be an athlete you know okay. I wanted to be a pro baseball player that was my life, but. Nice. As soon as I got my hand on turntables Minnesota and records, a good, uh, good baseball. Exactly, Minnesota was great baseball, yeah. except you know when it snowed, so we'd have to go inside and play. <laughs> so um, we, uh, but once I got on those turntables, I knew that you know it just instantly clicked. I'm like, oh, this is what I'm I'm gonna do. This is my my path.
2: Was there a first record for you that like clicked mm. as like this is my music, not your parents or something like that? First record. Um, Oh, that's a great idea. I had so many things. I mean, it
1: came up right when CDs were coming out. So I'm trying mm. to think like the first CDs and stuff. I mean, tapes. I was buying like MC Hammer tapes as okay. a kid. You know, I'm not ashamed to admit it. He was, he was dope back <laughs> yeah, in the we, we love 90s. So Hammer don't hurt him. But uh, <laughs> yeah. so I was buying that. Uh, so many CDs. But I guess when it comes to vinyl and records, I mean, one distinct record I remember getting early on. This would have been in like 1999. Was uh, a promo copy of Dre's Still Dre before it dropped, and mm-hmm. it was like a green vinyl, um, just mm-hmm. a single. And I don't know, it was just so cool too, getting something early, getting like a promo version, especially like a green colored thing. That's the first just vinyl so- that really stands out in my head when I think back to it. It wasn't the first record I had, but it was at that same time, and when I was first starting DJing, and that just has a me- I still have it. It's you know, just memories for me.
2: Yeah. And then what about so so you mentioned you know getting to turntables and mm-hmm. that was a turning point. Do you remember your first gig like playing for other people? First gig would have probably been I think it would have either I think it
1: was either one at my high school or it might have been something with friends and then one of my early ones too. I was like so I started DJing more. I did a lot in my basement before I actually went out as a lot of people do. And then one of sure. my first ones was. Opening up for Scarface and the Ghetto Boys had a show. Oh, so we did a show with the, there's another group out there. And I was DJing for them. And we opened up there. So yeah, it was like either in my high school or something with like the Ghetto Boys and Scarface like opening up super early. But this year Halloween fell on a weekend. Me and Ghetto Boys are trick or treating. Robbing little kids for bags. Till a no man got behind our ass. So speeded up the pace, Took a look back. How'd you it do? Like it good, dude. I thought yeah. I did good. I mean, it wasn't that tough. I wasn't on that much. Nobody's even paying attention right. at that time. But for me, it was, and I, I'm always about preparation. So I came in ready to go. Is and, that right? You know, yeah. So where that come good from, to go. that I don't know, I've always just been one of those people that, you know, I think one of the keys to getting things done and, and is knowing as much as you can about things. That's why I'm always trying to absorb knowledge in, in any sector, and even learning with people and doing your research on, on what people are into goes such a long way. That's how, you know, even looking back when I connected with Steve Rifkin, when I wrote him, a lot of people know that my story is I wrote him a letter on what, you know, I thought he was doing wrong and ideas for his label. Yeah. But I did a lot of research into Steve before I wrote that, knowing what types of things he was into, he obviously pioneered street teams, sure. he was the first to do that, guerrilla marketing, so I obviously focused, you know, a lot of my thought processes in a way that he would understand and appreciate based off of what, what he is, and so many deals I've closed over the years have been, you play, you play to your audience, even when you're DJing, if you go mm-hmm. to, like, and I've worked between multiple genres, whether it's, you know, a good example is like the Vikings games, where I've been DJing this year, which is fun, so before the players come out. Much more mainstream stuff and friendly stuff. Then when the players come out, my goal is to amp them up and hype them up. And so it turns into like Trap City. Then all of a sudden when they're there and the crowd is half the crowd is probably like whatever. But my goal, like you're playing for specific audiences at different times. And then back when they go into the tunnel before the game, then you go more mainstream again with it. So it's all about playing to your audience. It's really what you have to do with, you know, being a DJ. That's the definition of it. So I guess it's kind of been a natural philosophy in, in just my life now that I think
2: about it. Yeah. So the Rifkin, so so I interned for Rifkin <laughs> um, long before, like before Wu Tang was signed. Wow. Alcoholics no drop a bitch to bone when I'm alone. Bullshit, I'm toe back, I need to take a piss. Wow. Um, so who was there then? Uh, Madcap. It was, Whoa, okay. it was the first record on the first. new label. Yeah. Um, after Twista and yep. then he moved and then yep. and then Madcap. And I, I worked that record a little bit. And, you know, Steve taught me a lot. Steve's the um, man. Steve's always been able to
1: incubate great talent, and surround himself with it. That's one of yeah. his, you know, keys to success. The people he's, you've seen so many people come from SRC, from Loud, and even all the artists that he's had. Yeah. There's been so much success out of, you know, that, that he's identified. That's been probably his greatest skill, I feel, surrounding himself with great people. So, what did you say in that letter? I talked about a lot of digital-based things. So, mm. Steve at the time didn't even know how to really use email. This would have been about 1999, okay. and because I was 16 years old and. He, uh, you know, the letter was all focused on how things were going digital, ideas I had to, to market things, to reach them. I At the time, you know, was was doing mixtapes and started putting things on, you know, I built a website, and this is a way before, you know, the majority of the world was on the web yet, so it was mm-hmm. super early with that, and he kind of yeah. knew that... You know, again, to Steve's credit, he was always great at identifying trends and spotting what's next. So he kind of realized that was next and had no idea how to get into it. So he kind of hired me and I became his eyes and ears, kind of that voice of that next, you know, millennial generation, I guess. Sure. You know, yeah. and to help him really with that shift to digital.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, I think I saw the same thing in Steve that, you know, he's, he's great at finding talent. Yeah. Um, so what did you learn from working with him that you brought into your own business? So
1: much. I mean, seeing, I was there at the end of the loud days and the very start of SRC, so basically it was a startup, you know, within that. Mm -hmm. So kind of saw, which, you know, give me a preface to how to start a company, how to build it up, how to go through the the pros and cons and, you know, deal with, you know, the issues that you have and and seeing also how things, where things went wrong in the loud days and hearing those stories and hearing him say like, oh, what what happened and how he sold, you know, sold a Sony too early and, and watching kind of how different choices can you know, make drastic different in, out, outcomes in the long run and always playing the long game as well as you know, just being a self-starter. I remember you know, my first day in the office, he just sat me in front of a computer and was like, all right, and I was like, uh, what do I do? He was like, you know what to do? I was like, yeah, no idea. I didn't know what right. the hell he even wanted me to do, but sure. you just kind of get there and figure it out. And, yeah. you know, and even, I mean, so many experiences going on my first private jets and flying up to, to Nike to meet with you know, the the president of the company and -hmm. uh, pitching these campaigns and seeing how it was done. I mean, it was really the foundation for everything
2: that I've done and really kind of cut my teeth in the industry. Yeah. Um, You know, you talked about selling a business. Mm -hmm. And and obviously, as an entrepreneur, that's something that crosses everybody's mind, right? right? And my experience, having owned businesses and a lot of friends, just watching a lot of friends, is like it's really hard to know when is too early, too late. Yeah. Right? And you hear all these stories. You know, I met the guy one time who founded Penguins. Okay. Frozen yogurt. Yep, yep. And he's like a consultant now and he's like, you know, the reason I still consult is because I didn't sell my company at the right time. He's like, I made money but I didn't make that kind of money where I'd never have to do it again. He's like, and I should have, but, but, you know, it it drew for me. He was on the other side. Like, he waited too long until the business was arcing down. Yeah. so, now that you have your own companies, mm-hmm. how do you think about that? It's the
1: same thing, and look, there's no right, right answer, and you, you kind of are always, you never can see, it's always easy to look back and say, say you should have, but you, you never know, you also could have been, you know, if you look at the Facebook example, I remember when I saw that Mark Zuckerberg turned down a billion dollars from Yahoo or Google yeah. and whoever it was back in the day, I was like, this guy's insane, what is wrong with him? Two, sure. two billion, he turned it down, it obviously turned out to be the right moves. And right. Then you look at other things, like even MySpace, when, I was like, they only got bought for 500 million, and now what? Are, yeah. What are they worth? So there's no way to really tell and, and look back. I mean, I think what you have to do is always make the right choice at the moment, based off of the given circumstances and everything that you know. I mean, that's all you have to go off of, and you can't worry about you know making a mistake. You just have to go for it, follow your intuition, follow you know, I guess everything that you know you, you see in front of you, and, and just make those choices, and not be afraid of the outcomes, mm-hmm. and do what's what's best for you and what you feel is going to be. You know, the way I approach it is, you know, I love what I do, it's not just about money, so if we were to do anything, it'd have to be a situation that kept me happy and that would be, you know, offer many more incentives. It's not like something we're just gonna sell and walk, our, walk away from. The only way we'd even consider or think about selling anything is if it, you know, if it fell in line and enhanced the overall, everything else that we were doing, meaning could provide faster distribution content. Beyond mm-hmm. just money, it's more than just money. That's not what the decision should be based around. Mm-hmm.
2: Yo, if you're enjoying this interview with DJ Ski, go back to the Rebel Radio archives. Check out the episode featuring the Baker Boys. They're not only good friends of mine and great DJs, but they also have the morning show right now on Dash One. So check out the Baker Boys right after you finish listening to the rest of DJ Ski. So I know you have, uh, you've had partners. Mm-hmm along the way and you know collaborators and yet you know you're the face of the brand mm-hmm. right they, you know it's your name on the door it's your face everywhere yeah. um, so it's that's a little different than being mm-hmm. kind of a faceless CEO yeah. who's a little bit behind the scenes so how do you how do you balance those things and I, I guess I'm wondering like what kind of partner are you yeah. and what makes somebody a good partner
1: for you for sure. I mean, in terms of using my brand, I say it's a, the greatest strength and greatest weakness. And, and to be honest, it's not something that I really set out to do or, or even necessarily wanted to do. I'd rather prefer to be the behind-the-scenes guy and not even have my name or, you know, like I'm very quiet and private when it comes down to it. But sure. in order for certain things to happen, in order for us to, to launch certain things, I've had to leverage the, the platform and the, the, the brand that I've built to kind of accelerate that and... Then I can, you know, you see me slowly start stepping back. Um, mm. I mean, even when you look at Dash, like I don't want it to be. It's my pet peeve if somebody's like, "Oh, that's DJ Ski's radio thing." Like, no, it's not about me. It's about all of our employees, all of our three hundred DJs, our eighty stations, our you know, incredible listeners. It's a platform. I'm I'm one of those stations and, and partners on it, but it's not just me, and I right. don't want it to be. And if the if business was just based around me, it wouldn't succeed. Um, even going back to Ski TV, I mean, that was just a cool concept that actually turned. Into a business, and it was obviously so tied to me, which is great. But then there's the challenge too, where you know it's always tied to you, which mm-hmm. is something like, look, if you want to go retire eventually or whatever, right. how do you how do you make those trans transitions? So yeah. that was that was something that kind of came, on, not on accident, but it was never planned from the onset to be like this this massive business that you know turned into. You know, multiple TV shows, production, number sure. one, videos, 3 billion views, and just kind of, kind of came to be, and you know, my philosophy with everybody is I just try to do, you know, whether it's with, you know, even our ethos here at DASH is we have to do things where everybody wins, the mm-hmm. listeners, mm-hmm. brands, partners, employees, and that's what we're really all, all about. It has to be equal on all sides, and everybody has to win. There's not anybody left at the table feeling left out, not greedy. There's enough for everybody. It just has to be, you know, our philosophy is whatever makes sense and whatever's
2: fair. So is the plan just do shit that's fun and, <laughs> yeah. and it'll work or like how, how, how much of it is that and how much of it is like what we would think of as a business plan? It's it's both. I mean, look, if I just
1: wanted to make money, I'd probably be an investment banker, but that's not, you know, what excites me is not looking at Excel sheets all day and yeah. figuring that out, even though you can make a lot of money. For some people it is, mm-hmm. no, 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 no disrespect. For me, I have fun with music, with radio, with identifying talent, identifying artists, empowering others, figuring out creative ways to, you know, spread messages, you know, figuring out how to navigate especially new frontiers like we're at in this digital era and if you look at Dash that's that's what it is I mean so the comedy it has to be something fun at the core and and the fun kind of comes from the challenges in a weird way it's how you figure how to maneuver through certain situations how you maneuver, to, to launch a new company and compete with the biggest ones in the world, and we have a very ambitious goal of becoming the biggest radio broadcaster in the world, which is radio shifts from analog to digital, which is definitely doable, but it's a massive undertaking, so mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a ton of challenges and things with it and parts that aren't fun, but when you look back on it, it's, it's weird. It's like sometimes those stressful points and those challenges that you go through are, are the funnest parts in the end when you find the ways and navigate the ways. It's. It's like you know almost like training for for if you're playing sports or anything it's not mm-hmm. always the funnest, but looking back, oh man, that was such a good like it's it's weird it's it's weird how it works out. you can't always appreciate it then, right, yeah. but, but it always you know it's it's all those little details that end up making it fun and end up making the positive things that happen that much sweeter if everything was always incredible and great even in your life or whatever then you'd really, your, your barrier barriers got of right here. You really have no, you're not going to feel it if something good happens because it's right there versus if you hit you know, lows or whatever, then you appreciate those highs and, and they feel that much more powerful to
2: you. Sure. So that sounds great. But when you're in a low, yeah. what do you do to, to remind yourself of that or to tap into that, right? Is it, is it? Yeah. Great. Not, like it, what do you do? Great question. So there's
1: different, different elements of lows and it's different for every person. For me, um, I mean, luckily, like at the end of the day, I have my health, family, friends, great team, having fun, career. So, mm-hmm. everything is temporary. When you go through through little setbacks, if you get denied something, if there's a challenge or an issue that faces, you really have to just be headstrong and look at the overall picture and in the scheme of things. And like I was like, look, oh, okay, at the end of the day, we're doing radio. It's not like we're curing cancer or anything on that. We're doing something right. fun, and then you start thinking in the we earth is a dust of grain <laughs> in the universe and all that so it's we're one of people that have been here for you know <laughs> like this is a bil- like this universe is billions and billions and billions of years old yeah. so we're so small in the scheme of things doesn't really matter and sometimes you have to step back and be like look, we're doing radio it's not that serious everything is is temporary as important as it is to us but mm-hmm. almost just be you know, you also have to have that head down drive and, and focus. It's like a horse with blinders. You have to see kind of the finish line where you want to go and not get distracted by whatever's happening next to you. Uh, no how, how, no matter both how good or bad it is. Mm-hmm. Um, on either side, you can't get too excited and you can't get too down. You just have to keep kind of pushing through and, and not giving up. The, the thing that I've realized is that you can do really anything in, in this world. If I wanted to build, something, a a way to get out of the universe, I guarantee you it's humanly possible. The only challenge you face is time. Mm -hmm. You don't have enough time to to build something. It's probably not gonna happen in our lifetimes. But if we had a trillion years, Mm -hmm. whatever it was, we would absolutely be able to get there. And it's kind of the same thing in life. On a much smaller scale, but you can always get to any point. It's just when do you throw in the towel? And that's a challenge, both good and bad. Do you sell out early? Do you sell out too late? Do you? You've got to kind of have to know and just go with your gut on those things. Yeah. But anything is possible. And
2: as long as you stay in the game, you're playing. Yeah. So back to the idea of kind of picking talent. And, you, you know, you talked about Steve and you're in the same business, right? Mm-hmm. You have how many DJs? Uh, you're
1: one of them. So you tell me. That's uh, why we're glad to hear.
2: <laughs> so how do you do
1: that? How do you know who's right? For, for us right now, I mean, we've built, been able to build a really incredible team that you know, of great program directors that I, I send a lot and kind of filter through them. It's been, for me, identifying the talent. They can also identify talent and empowering mm-hmm. that next generation and letting them kind of go out and, and make the choices just because I don't have enough hours in the day to, to, and I'm focused on different things. To, than Then forcing, then kind of sourcing through shows. Of course, if I hear things and I'm always keeping my ear open, I'll send it to them. But I think it's really, for me, that learning to take a step back as well. And getting the other right people, identifying other talent that can manage and find those and control those people. And we've been able to build a, you know, a really great, solid lineup over here at Dash, and, and it's only expanding. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just can't build studios fast enough, which is a great yeah. problem to have. Absolutely. You know? Yeah,
2: for sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, all right, let's go back for a minute. I know early on you, you worked for Stretch Armstrong. Stretch, yeah. He's the homie, and he's been on the show um, wow. What'd you learn from Stretch?
1: Stretch was my guy. I mean, Stretch was my first real uh, I guess the first real DJ that had made it that, that I was able to hang around and I mean, he's you know, what he's done in the we speaking of identifying talent, I mean yeah. you're talking Nas, Jay Z, Biggie, I mean Wu Tang clan, everybody in hip hop that we grew up with in, mm-hmm. in the nineties, especially East Coast, came from Nas is stretch. Like it was you know incredible what he he did so his legacy hanging around him this is the late 90s when he was also kind of shifting his career from just being that underground guy to being a mainstream guy and doing shows playing the beatles and mm-hmm. it's almost interesting it's like a place where where i found myself you know as well when i was about when i turned his age but I was just a sponge being in the studio with Redman, with Cameron, with DJ Premier coming up and dropping off new music. And he's like, Oh, yeah, it's Primo, he's bringing a new record. I'm like, What the hell is going on? And my first, I mean, that's... even if you look at the foundation of my radio experience, I used to go to his Sunday night mixtapes on Hot 97 yeah. and, you know, help him, you know, just sit around, carry his records, whatever I could do. And it was all about new music. And that's what my radio shows have always been about. So it's based off a of foundation that I learned from him mixtapes I learned from him. He was mm-hmm. doing the Murder Mixtape series back then with Who with mm-hmm. Kid when I was around and I was helping him put some of those things even together and that's what gave me my mixtape foundation. So it was really the foundation for everything that I did in my DJ career was came from from the time that I spent with Stretch as a teenager
2: in New York. Is there a particular lesson you think of that you got from Stretch? Man, from Stretch, I think it was just letting me, you know, being in the
1: backseat of his car, just rolling around, doing whatever, and seeing how the world really works, and realizing that these people are real, and they are like, mm-hmm. oh, it's De La Soul on the phone. Like, what? Like these people? Like to me, being a kid, right? It was like this the, you don't really, you don't realize. You think of them as like, yeah, yeah I guess not mythical figures, mm-hmm. but people that you know you don't think you'll ever really meet them, or that they're real and exist. And especially before the internet and social networks and anything. I mean, the internet was there, but not like social sure. networks and, yeah. and the reach. So. It let me. It showed me that wow, this is real, and I felt like I could do it. And I felt like I was on the same playing field, especially when he'd ask me to help or do something or if I could do this. I was like, wow, I'm actually playing. You know, it's like I'm playing at a major league level at that point, mm-hmm. which was very empowering for me. So I was like, wow, I can,
2: I can do this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. not you know, why not me? Yeah. You know? Was there a moment that you remember where realizing that you could do this for a living? Um. I mean, I knew, it's weird, like I knew when I started,
1: like I said, when I touched the turntables, I just knew it was what I was going to do. I didn't even think, like as a teenager, so you don't even think that far, but when Steve offered me that job, it wasn't really what I expected. I just, like, at the end of the day, when I wrote him that, that letter, I wanted, like, a Wu-Tang Clan shirt or an exhibit <laughs> shirt. I would have been the happiest kid. Loud had these really dope, like, sweatshirts, yeah, they were yeah, coming yeah. with every album, and I just wanted those. I would have yeah. been the happiest kid in the world, and uh, I just wanted merch, really, and yeah, for me, a job I was like, Holy shit, like this is real. Like, I was planning on going to college, and right, you know, I had never really thought of it, I just knew it would always work itself out. And then yeah. I was like, Oh wow,
2: like this is really happening now, yeah. not like it's gonna happen, it's gonna like yeah, this is now, yeah. So, was that the same thing? I know, uh, the story that you know, you connected with game, yeah, and you end up producing his single mm-hmm. or his uh, uh,
0: uh, 300 bars, yeah. 300 balls and running. Slow me your ears for 15 minutes. Walk with me. a
2: the um, And that kind of put you on a map as a producer. Absolutely. Right? So, how did that change the game? Like, is there a point where it's like the day before versus the day after uh, that you 100%. saw a difference?
1: For me, there's like a few moments in my life where you feel like, and I think everybody probably gets these opportunities where you have a chance. You know, there's there's real pivotal moments that you can identify that change your life. For me, it was when I connected with Steve through selling a PlayStation. Like if I wasn't selling PS twos at the time, I wouldn't have never had the opportunity to meet him, which Stretch introduced me, at least not in that way, and wouldn't have moved out and worked for him and wrote him that proposal. So who knows where I would have been. So something as simple and it could be simple as that. With a the game, there was I mean, I was always DJing, but it's tough to get your name out as a DJ and at the time I had my own marketing agency. I'd left Steve and built my own uh, business. It was you know, we were doing all the stuff with T Mobile and the sidekick, very successful. The Daimler Chrysler, we relaunched, you know, the Magnum, the Chargers. I was mm. known in the industry as kinda of like this whiz kid on the marketing side, but I was always DJing, it was more of the business side. But as soon as that happened, I was like, Wow, my life is gonna change. Now I'm gonna be known from a more mainstream and consumer perspective as a DJ. Do I is this what I want? And I was like, Yeah, so I focused, I decided I made a, you know, a very uh, I guess, informed choice to focus specifically on my DJ career and sold my shares in my marketing company and just focused literally on on DJing and knew and I was like, Look, this is my little crack in the door, I've gotta bust it open. So I went from three hundred bars to then doing all the games mixtapes to then doing all the West Coast stuff with Snoop and Kendrick and everybody else and the whole T D. E. crew, to then being on radio and then expanding from just hip hop radio and West Coast stuff to mainstream and then to pop station and then to TV and then to Vegas and all that, but it all started because of 300 bars. If there wasn't that moment and that crack in the door, I would have never been able to get those other opportunities and it's almost like a platform, like one thing leads to the next which leads to the next. It's like building a pyramid as you get to the top. And yeah. you know, I very, I guess it was very methodical the way that, that I did that and I kind of knew what it was, but at that moment, especially because those windows come and go so quick, it was a choice that I had to make right then. Am I gonna go for this right now? And who knows if that ever opportunity for me as a DJ would have ever happened. Otherwise I could have just been a guy that loved it and did it kind of mm-hmm. in, you know mm-hmm. for fun and did a few parties and did it in his bedroom. Or do you really wanna make you know your, yourself a brand and a name and thank God I went for it because now it's gotten me here. But there was a very distinct thing. And even if I would have done it six months later, like people would have forgot about that record. So I had to choose kind of yeah. right then. And I, I kind of knew as soon as it came out, I was like, wow, this is, a pivotal moment in my life. It's everything I've been kind of waiting for in the DJ side. So a lot of, there's a
2: lot of great DJs, you know, a lot of them on this, So many, yeah. on this platform. <laughs> yeah. Um, who, you know, are great at what they do, they mm-hmm. know their music, they love it, they're mm-hmm. successful. Yep. Um, but you've turned it into something bigger. Mm-hmm. What is it that they're not, what, what makes you different?
1: I think it's you know I don't think it's anything that people aren't doing. I think it's just I mean, luckily I was built like if you look at my career path, it was built with a business foundation before the DJ stuff blew up. So I was able to really understand the insights of business and learn ROI and working with brands and all that, and apply that towards my platform. And I always knew that I'd put kind of both together, which is what I've done with with my businesses today. And for me, I think it's really having a the knowledge base on how to do that and starting up, you know, and working at basically startups and working outside of just DJing. It wasn't like I just DJed, I, I, I always did that as, as one of, you know, it was almost my side and mm-hmm. my fun thing. It's kind of what got me into the industry, but then I focused on, on the business side when I got out here. But for me, it was always, you know, it was never just about DJing. It was always about building things and pushing the envelope and being involved with technology and, creating good content. And for me I was just lucky to be in the right place at the right time when YouTube was launching up and you know, starting Ski TV and sure. making the right decisions, building a production arm, making the right connections, getting like Mark Cuban to, to who gave me my break on television to then kind of identifying an opportunity in the market as radio shifts from analog to digital, and having the, the backing and the knowledge and the relationships with top investors in Silicon Valley, with top people in the industry, with top people that know how to build and, and run businesses, so we could put this together as a company and go out and raise money and go out and you know build, become, really build something. And I guess it was just from that knowledge that I built and collected over the years, even from people that... I had met, like a lot of our initial backers were people that I was hanging out with and taking Mm -hmm. around and kind of took a liking to and was as interested, like I'm always just interested in how things work from like, how does a camera work to, you know, I want to learn as much, I want to know a little bit about as much as I can and just seeing how, you know, especially, it was during the same time my career as a DJ was going up. This is when like Silicon Valley was was really blowing, exploding with startup culture and everything. And I really tried to tap into that and make some made some great relationships in that world that, you know, then connected me with other people and that kind of empowered me to uh, be able to start businesses on that level. So it was kind of and those relationships were there because I took advantage of them when I was a DJ mm-hmm. when I was in that DJ wearing that DJ hat and kind yeah. of brought them together. So.
2: Um, Mark Cuban called you the Oprah of (laughs) hip-hop. I'll take it. Tell me a lesson you learned from Mark. Mark
1: is awesome. I mean, what Mark showed me, I mean, Mark's the most normal guy. I remember we were out in New Orleans together for Super Bowl a couple years ago. And it's time I had this restaurant I love. It's like, let me take you out there. He's like, no, I just want to go to IHOP. <laughs> you know, like, like that's Mark. No like way. he's like, no, I don't want to go to the fancy Emerald yeah. restaurant. I want to go to to IHOP. Like yeah. literally, like I'm I'm good with that. And, I mean, Mark is, I think, every guy's idol. He's a guy that made a billion dollars off of a company. Sure. Nonetheless, a radio, like an audio company with Mm -hmm. broadcast.com, so there's a lot of parallels there. Um, But he just likes to have fun. I mean, he went and bought a sports team. That's probably the first thing I'd do if I bought, if I had, you know, billions of dollars as well. And has, you know, gone on to do one of the best shows ever with Shark Tank and seeing what he's done and empower others and always voice his opinion, right or wrong. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's never shy to say that like we've gotten into disagreements, not on a bad level, just like he thinks one way and I think another. But um, you know, he's also showed me, you know, that like a billionaire, like that's a number. He wasn't always that, and it's obtainable. It's, it's not easy, it's tough. But, you know, he's He's one, he's truly like a man of the people. And that's why I think he has such a more opportunity. Like I'm surprised. I really think if he ran for president this last cycle, he actually could have won. And I think he's got, you know, a lot, a lot bigger things ahead of him sure. for that. But he's just down to earth, cool, but very, very smart and intelligent. We have great conversations and just a great dude. And he's even helped and made great connections for me and always supported me. Even when, you know, we left his network, I, he gave me his blessing. I was like, mm-hmm. it was tough because it's like, man, I got a good opportunity over here more money, more viewers, but I want to be loyal, and I talked to him, he was like, dude, go for it, like, totally get it, I want you to succeed, like, I still have your old episode, so I'm going to make more money in you, anyways, like, go <laughs> nice. for it, so it, it was awesome, he's always just been an incredible guy, that's cool, so, nice, and he's going to help me buy uh, the Timberwolves one day, that's my goal, so. is that right? <laughs> right, I told him I need to, yeah, so he's like, all right, I'll, I'll put in a good word, with okay, the league, so.
2: that's cool, um, so, and then a lot of, What you're doing is working with brands. I know Mm -hmm. you've done that, you know, you mentioned with with Sidekick and Mm -hmm. so many other brands along the way. And then I think, um, you know, I know there's plans here to to involve brands in that. Um, What what, what do brands get wrong Mm -hmm. when they integrate into hip hop or music in general that, that they need to know?
1: The big things that i always preach to brands that that many don't get some get it right is it has to be authentic it has to be organic and it has to be really native like i'm big like my philosophy with that everything is empowering others if i hire you i'm not going to micromanage you i'm i'm there to help but i'm really hiring you because i i trust you and it's almost the same thing with brands if a brand hires me tell me what your brand message is let's work together let's make sure of course we're on brand and it makes sense but there also has to be a trust that way. Like, I'm my goal is the same goal. I want you to be happy because then I'm gonna get more business. So trust me, this is gonna be the best way to do the job. It's not just like a lot of people approach it wrong and they're just like, oh, how fat a check can I get and go to the next. We're like, yo, oh, how do we actually build something? So we build a long-term relationship. And you know, the one thing I think is empowering and trusting talent. If you're gonna hire them, if you're gonna utilize them, and want to tap into their audience, it has to be natural. There's mm-hmm. nothing worse than seeing something forced and something there just doesn't work authentically. And it's also getting, you know, a lot of brands get in their own way and they overthink and it has to go through this department or this agency. And so many people are so scared of losing their jobs that they just do the normal. They're like, all right, we spent $10 million on traditional radio advertising last year. We don't really know the results. We can't measure, but we're not going to do anything else because this is the standard sure. and well, it works, you're not
2: going to get in trouble for this.
1: they're not going to get in trouble it's yeah. about like maintaining like there's a certain point in your life where I think a lot of people just become comfortable coasting like they want to achieve this and then they realize this is where it is and they kind of plateau and it just sucks yeah. being in that situation because then they don't want to take the risk versus yeah it might not work and people might be like why the hell it's easy to question something after the fact but that's the only time greatness comes mm-hmm. so that's, mm-hmm. that's the biggest challenge identifying people that are really willing to stick their neck in the line and take a risk to try to do something great.
2: And so what are you creating that's different from the opportunities that are available you know, sure. in traditional broadcast right now?
1: Look, our philosophy is that traditional radio advertising is just a, a bad model on audio. We think, especially with millennials, there's so many options out there, they'll, they'll, <laughs> probably, they'll tune out of it. So we're banking on kind of creating this whole new model that's integrated advertising, but it's more in a sponsorship form. So instead of hearing you know, a 30 second advertisement on your show, you're going to hear you talking natively about a product. And it's not about hiding that, it's about mm-hmm. making it organic in, in a way. And the way one brand that always has done it really well is, is Red Bull. And I always mm-hmm. use this as an example. When they had Felix jump from space, it was Red Bull branded, Red Bull logo. They, they presented it, they talked about it but they didn't cut to a commercial the second he jumped out. Like a lot of brands would have been he jumped and then they try to keep you, come back after five minutes. Like, no, that doesn't work. That pisses people off. People are fine being marketed and kind of promoted and advertised to. They realize they need to make that, but it has to be done in a tasteful way. So with Dash, we're always about not interrupting the audio experience and making Mm -hmm. it native and natural. And we feel over the long term that this is going to be the future of what it is, especially when you get real-time metrics from digital platforms that aren't, you know, just small sample sizes and PPM like radio's done, it's a real true method, but over the long term, there's going to be a lot more money from that, and we can sell not just against an audience in a, C- a CPM size, but we can sell against the brands that each of our respective partners have built because there's value in you and individual shows and all of our talent talking about it, and it's much better than hearing, you know, just a generic 30-second ad that people just tune out. Mm-hmm.
2: So... Um with that in mind, what, what are you most excited about?
1: I'm excited. I mean, Dash has really become my life. Like, I feel like this is, if you look at everything I've done in my career, from business to, like, even teaching Steve Tech to obviously DJing, radio, new technology with things like YouTube, you mm-hmm. couldn't have scripted a better thing for me to be involved in. Um, I really feel like, look, there's a huge opportunity in the broadcast space as it moves from analog to digital. I mean, you're talking about a $45 billion a year global business that you know, a lot of the incumbents haven't really built a solution from the digital ground up. They're just simulcasting what's already available. And there's a lot of overhead and debt that are out there that we just aren't burdened by because we're, we're leveraging technology as well as the ability to scale globally. And we're like, look, if we take even a small fraction of that, it's a massive, it's a multi-billion dollar business annually. Mm-hmm. And we think we can, we can do that. So that's really you know, what, I'm, what I'm excited about. My focus is right here at Dash. So, OK,
2: and then the flip side. What's been the hardest day so far? The hardest thing? Yeah. Uh, hardest thing so far is always, I guess, I mean,
1: there's always there's so many different hard things. The hard thing is um, kind of, especially as you expand and scale up, making sure you keep that, those core fundamentals that keep you strong with it, making sure you keep the right people around, because all it takes is, you know, one wrong move and, and everything can come apart. They could do something wrong. They could steal, like, there's so many different opportunities. So sure. I think it's just constantly always ba- balancing how to scale and expand and grow, hold out till you get the right deals while also keeping everything moving and keeping that foundation. It's like one of the challenges, especially that we're facing as we get big, is how do we keep the culture and how do we keep mm-hmm. it all cool? It was easy when we started this and you know there was 10 of us in a room putting these things together. It was a lot more easy to manage. And as you scale up, how do you get everybody involved and everybody on the same page and do it properly and still keep those core fundamentals so yeah. I think that's you know it's a fun thing but that's, it's definitely probably our biggest challenge
2: Are there mentors or resources that specifically around this idea of culture yeah. that you lean on? Absolutely I mean my, my philosophy and what I've learned are, I've gone both ways so I, I, read, try, I try
1: to read books all the time I've been able to be you know have incredible bait from our backers. I mean, we have people like Mike Lazaro, who's you know Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year, mm-hmm. Silicon Alley, the number one person on, on the list, Forbes 40 Under 40, two billion dollars in exits, and other incredible people from you know Kevin Collerins and Matt Mickelsons, the you know great people in the tech side that have really been key to helping with us and hearing their stories because they've mm-hmm. done a lot of those same things. And what I try to do is listen to and absorb everything from articles I read to books to, to personal knowledge, but at the same time, there's been times when I've just taken advice blindly and done the same thing that somebody else has done and it's been wrong because every situation is different. So what I've really learned is you really have to, I mean, take into account as much as you can, but at the end of the day, you have to make your own choice. Mm -hmm. So listen to everybody, a lot of people have been through those same things, but at the end of the day, you have to make those, your own choice based off the knowledge and just because somebody's, you know, you know, like even Laz is great. Like the guy has all these exits and all these things. And he's like, I, I, don't know. This is my opinion, but it might not be right for for your right. business. So it's yeah. and even with Mark, like there'll be times when, I, when I've disagreed with Cuban. And the guy's, you know, has much more money than me and, and much sure. more success on the business end. But he, he's not always gonna be right there. Just like I'm not always gonna be right there right. too. I could learn. He could say, I told you so, or he could be like, oh, you, you were right there. But yeah. um, it's taking as much into to account that you can at the time, but also not being afraid to make your own decision.
2: Yeah. Um, is there, is there one book that you kind of lean on the most for, for that kind of thing? There's some great ones. One, I just,
1: I mean, I, I like Ben Horowitz's book, yeah. hard time, hard thing about, <laughs> hard, things. Things about hard things. I just love a, that. An incredible book, uh, getting to yes is something my uncle yeah. like really lives by. And at sure. the end of the day, that's really what it's, what it's about. Like it's taking ego, ego out of it. Uh-huh. How do we just get there? Like that's one key thing. I try to, you know, minimalize my ego as much as possible because at the end of the day, my goal is there. I don't care what happens, what right. people say, like, as long as we get there all together, we all, we all win. There's that, so mm-hmm. getting the yes. Um, I'm trying to think. There's a couple other ones. Uh, I mean, there's, like, a typical one. who move my cheese. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a good one. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's figuring out how to adapt. There's, I'm trying to think. There's another one that I read recently that's really good. I'm trying to, I can't remember the name of it. There's, I mean, there's some great, great reading out there, and it's just, you know... Uh,
2: most Mostly it's having the time to read. is the big problem. It's a challenge, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I got for the for phases. Sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, all right, I have a little lightning round that we'll, yes. we'll breeze let's through do before it. we wrap up. Um, so let's go back to um, 18-year-old DJ Ski. <laughs> What's one piece of advice you would give? Um, focus
1: on... I mean, if I could go back, besides like, giving lottery numbers and all things <laughs> uh, I would say... Uh, Instead of trying to do everything, focus on a few key areas and knocking them out and um, really key on and everything going around. You don't just try to, you know, I mean, I guess you're trying to, I was trying to absorb everything too, but also just really, really
2: focus on individual things instead of trying to do it all. It's funny you say that because from the outside, it looks like you have, you seem to like prune as you go. Yeah. Right, and so yeah. so you know you've given up more things than Absolutely. you've taken on, right? Absolutely, and That's the key uh, thing. and 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 I see that maybe as a mistake in other people that they they take on new stuff and they don't get rid of the old. Yeah, is that, um, is that a
1: conscious process? It's it's tough. It's you know you really have to kind of know when it's time to move on and, fo- and focus yeah. on specific areas. Like my main focus right now, without question, is dash, and it's yeah. just because like look. There's a lot of things I could do. I could go out, like I've done and been DJing in Vegas every weekend, and it was great. It was a time. It's not necessarily what I wanted to do my whole life, but sure. there was a time and place for it. But sure. if I did that now, it would devi- even though I could make a lot of money doing it, it would deviate my focus from Dash, which has the potential to be a multi-billion dollar business. And it's like risk-reward. There's, you know, I'm not going to make multi-billion dollars from DJing in Vegas every weekend sure. over time. Um, so what, but, and if this opportunity is on the table, why wouldn't I put my all into that and into focusing on this business yeah. and, and sort of getting distracted doing other things? So it yeah, kind of is a conscious thing. You can, I mean, look, you have to pay the bills and do certain things. And I still DJ, I do a DJ if it's fun or you know, mm-hmm. still do a few paid gigs and stuff here to really, you know, cause we're still a startup and it, it still funds a lot of things that I do, yeah. but my, my focus at is really DASH just because it has such a big opportunity. So it's really, yeah, I've had to make, I've constantly made those decisions instead of trying to do every little like side hustle and thing that sure. came, you know, there's so many yeah. opportunities that come my way and I have Absolutely. to say no to a lot. I just don't have time. Of course, yeah.
2: yeah. Um, is there some other talent that you always wish you had more of? Um,
1: I guess sports. I was now looking back, I always wanted to, I mean, I, was, I probably could have gone pro if I would have baseball. stuck with baseball. Yeah, yeah. but um, looking back, it's like, Shit, those were great contracts. I think it's <laughs> that fun, all, all the stuff back then. But, yeah, for sure. And we just wanted to have baseball, basketball, football. So Yeah,
2: nice. Um, so, if I worked here uh, or I was on a team, what's something I would hear you say over and over? Make it happen, I
1: guess. I mean, my philosophy is when people come to me with stuff, it's like, look, we just got to make it happen. Like, yeah. we, we got to figure a way. If there's an issue, we find a way. I'm here to help and all those things, but a lot mm-hmm. of it, like, look, I empower you make a choice, yeah. right or wrong, and we'll learn if it's wrong, and if it's right, you know, you know. good job. Yeah. Peter.
2: So who would you be most excited, or maybe, or maybe you've met this person, but mm-hmm. to learn is a fan of yours? Oh, good
1: question. I mean, when I met, like, Mark Cuban, and when he was hitting me and offering me stuff, that was, like, surreal, just because, yeah. I mean, I think he's everybody's idol that's, you know, a young male that wants to own sports. And, sell companies and for live sure life biggest yeah he was definitely there i mean snoop i still get tripped out when he's like texting me this morning about stuff and i'm like look, this is snoop Dogg, this is who i grew up listening to uh-huh. like is this real yeah. so like those two without question even athletes it's a trip when you know we're talking to adrian peterson who's become one of our big backers and a good friend of, of this business um you know i'm like look i'm the ultimate vikings fan so and it's like our purple jesus so to see him you know like to talk to him is just so surreal like, that's cool those guys yeah
2: yeah Um, I know you're a big uh, shoe collector sneakers oh yeah Um, do you collect anything else?
1: it's really sneakers I mean I have a lot of memorabilia as well over the time sports memorabilia as well as music stuff that I've just picked up over the years but it's really just memorabilia and and kicks
2: is there one thing that's like the pinnacle of the collection?
1: Um, I have some signed OG Jordan 11s okay um, signed by Mike the black and red ones I have like Game worn stuff from like Kevin Garnett's rookie year that's signed, Adrian Peterson stuff, Clint Dempsey, um, uh, things from every athlete. Russell Westbrook, game worn signed shoes, the Back to the Future shoes. I have DJ Am's pair of Air Force Ones, Mm -hmm. the Serato collab, that whole Mm -hmm. box. It's incredible because it was his. uh, You know, the whole Griffey pack. Griffey was my favorite baseball player as a kid. Um, some other signed Jordan's. It's tough to nail down just one. Of course, yeah. Um, so I know we talked about books. What are you reading now? Uh, right now, I'm between books. I just finished up the Ben Horowitz one. Now I'm I was looking at other stuff. So you got to tell me, what should I
2: be reading right now?
1: Oh, shit. Um, I'm looking for something good right now. I got to get started on something.
2: All right, I'm gonna send you some. I, I should have some off the top of my head. Right now, I'm reading fiction, so I'm, okay. I read. What was I right? like to
1: alternate. That's it's smart. I got I started reading more fiction this past year. I gotta. Um, what else was there? There's a CAA book. There's another okay. one that I just read too that I really liked. I can't think of it right, and my brain's fried.
2: I'll tell you one that's like it's not a hard read, but um, Chuck Klosterman, uh, this book, "Eating the Dinosaur." Okay. And it's I've like heard he challenges all this. He challenges the idea of authenticity uh-huh. in a way that like. For guys like us, the authenticity has been everything. Yeah. And he kind of argues that that's sort I'd of bullshit in it. a way that's really interesting. Sure there's, look, there's valid points to that. And everybody yeah, yeah. has their own experience. So, yeah, I'd love yeah. to read that. That one's worth a look. Um, what movie have you seen the most in your life? Ooh, good one. I mean, it could be...
1: It's like either... Like, growing up, because I saw him so much. It's like a Home Alone series... <laughs> Independence Day, and it always seems like it's always on, and I always watch it. <laughs> um, Godfather, and you know yeah. what? Goodfellas is on more, and Casino. So, like, yeah. love all three of those. Yeah. Um, probably one of those. I'm trying to think of some other. I feel like there's something else I'm forgetting, but those probably definitely those. Uh, Step Brothers is probably oh. the funniest movie. Ever to me, so, <laughs>
2: okay. I, I watch that every time it's on. Yeah.
1: So one of those. those. Are,
2: those are good. But yeah, that that's always like, it's always something that's just on. You exactly. Know I mean? You don't have to seek it, it out. It might not be
1: my favorite movie right, right. of all time, but it's something but it's that and if
2: it's there, I'll always watch it. Yeah. You know? Home Alone gets that, right? Because it exactly. comes around the holidays. Exactly.
1: Year. So you're that always good at
2: that. Um, okay. And then the last one, uh, who's your favorite DJ? Favorite DJ. Ooh, there's so many
1: different styles and sounds and reasons like from a business perspective. Growing up, it was Clue on the mixtapes. because Clue on the mixtape scene there yeah. from... You know the radio perspective and stuff. It was people like Julio G and Stretch that that like, kind of paved the way for the types of shows and everything that I did. From yeah. the the business perspective, I mean, to see the doors that people like my friends like Aoki and uh, Calvin Harris, what those guys have have done is incredible. Watching you know like Diplo build that brand. There's so many great like DJing is so vast and very. I mean, even you talk to sneakerheads, you look at Clark Kent as being like sure. the, the OG OG sneakerhead. Yeah. Like. There's what about so many different about, weird things?
2: Who have you seen
1: live that's. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, then you like, talk about like people impacted like you the, most. the beat junkies. And, you know, growing yeah. up, it was Q like Invisible Scratch Pickles, and just the things that he would do in the DMC stuff. So, um, so many different areas. DJing is so vast and, and big now, but from a technical perspective, I mean, what those guys did, that's what I'd always try to mimic and, and do back in the day. So, I'd say, like, you know, Q yeah, beat junkies, and, you know executioners, all those, all those true like DJ crews. That's what I grew up with.
2: That's great. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Thank you for doing this. this.
1: incredible. This is going to be the best interview ever. Like super in depth, great job, dude. Oh man, I You're going to take my job. I'm that done. you from retiring. You, dude, <laughs> thank, thank you so much. That's
2: appreciate dope. You. Yeah. Okay. That's a wrap with DJ Ski. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I loved it. I hope you will uh, leave us a comment on our iTunes page. Or give us a shout out on Twitter or Facebook or YouTube or whatever you feel like. It doesn't matter. It's all up to you. Most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.